welcome back to another re-education experience podcast. Uh, I call it a modern realtor's playbook. Again, I'm your host as always, Darren Langill, creator of the re-education brand that has one goal. The whole goal for me is build better realtors. And I do it via the podcast here, uh, courses and challenges and a lot more. So thanks for again, being with us on the show. Today, I have a special guest, a uh, special guest by the name of Jimmy Mackin. For those watching, you can see him on the screen already on the show with me. Uh, Jimmy is the founder. He's the CEO of Curator, and he's a, which was, if you don't know, or is a premium marketing and real estate website company that takes uh, what I always like to say, this very proactive path to securing leads for you. And just recently, he launched something I talked about at Thrive last week, Attract, which is there to set qualified buyer and seller appointments to massive success. And we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, Jimmy right now, for those listening, is in my opinion, one of the guys right at the leading edge of what the consumer is looking for, for from us as realtors. Because he's out there, and he's, he's out there sticking his neck out on the line, creating leads and saying that he can do that um, for his paying clients. He has no choice but to figure it out and to succeed, right, Jimmy? Um, with the world as noisy, and likely, I would say, ad overloaded and even ad numb. This job is probably harder and harder, yet he's constantly finding ways to succeed at massive levels. Um, Jimmy, we were really lucky to have last week dazzled our Thrive Not Survive audience speaking about um, many of the lessons he's learned in generating now over 1.1 billion worth of set appointments for his clients this year alone. I know that's a huge number to fathom. So, Jimmy, uh, welcome to the show, my friend. Yeah, thank you, Derek. And you said something interesting in, in the intro around how difficult it is to generate leads today for uh, for real estate agents. And, you know, it's it, it's it's interesting because we now we generate millions of leads uh, a year. We generate tens of millions of leads over our, our career curator. And you know, the definition of a lead it has changed during mm -hmm. that during that 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 last decade. Um, you know, the the novelty of lead generation has worn off for many real estate agents. In the past, we were all so excited about the potential of getting someone to fill out a form on a website or on a, or on or DM us on social. But now that we have now that there are so many people in this space, and there are so many uh, different ways in which you can lead generate. What agents now are looking for is they're looking for quality above quantity, and they're looking for ways to have more meaningful conversations with people who are looking to make a move now versus later. And so the challenge of lead generation today isn't about just generating leads, because I think anybody, frankly, can generate leads. It is really solving those two problems, solving the problem of high intent, someone actually wants to make a move or buy or sell, and, and then timing. They want to do it relatively soon. That is where the, the puck is headed right now in, in lead generation uh, for people who are in the space like me. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense because you're right. I mean, I've been through that journey. I've been on the on the on the gas really hard with it, and you've seen uh, agents that rely on that can become very much again numb to just you know just the volume that can come from like you said a quantity based lead gen system with a later based lead system is mm -hmm. is tough, right? So I, I mm -hmm. like that you mentioned that that's where it's going, and that's where maybe people are starting to be aware to say, I will pay more for that because they get how hard it's been to get through that journey, right? 
Yeah, yeah, you bring up a you bring up a great point around sort of the the investment required because the you you are either paying a lot at the beginning or you're paying a lot throughout the process. Right. And what I mean by that is in the U.S. we've got you know major portals like Realtor, uh, Realtor.com, and, and and Zillow who will um, have different various lead generation programs, but they'll charge you different prices, right? They'll charge you like a higher premium for a lead for someone who's looking to schedule a showing versus you going and generating leads on your own through Facebook. So you may pay 10 times, 15 times the cost for that opportunity than you would if you were to generate on your own. The reason why it can still work for some people who make these investments is because if you do basic lead generation, all of your costs shift from the beginning of the funnel to the back of the funnel or the bottom of the funnel, meaning that all the costs come in the ISA department, the lead follow-up, the nurture, right? So that is where if you are, if you're looking at to develop a, a marketing strategy, the, the short answer is like there's, there's challenges at every stage. Part of you know, being thoughtful about developing a strategy that works for your business is to understand where are you really strong and then begin to build a strategy around that, if you will. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Now at the event, Jimmy brought so much value that we ran out of time for Q&A. And I told the audience that I, that I was like, oh, guess what? Jimmy's on my podcast next week. So we can I, I can hammer you with some stuff. So again, I'm really blessed to have you here back to back where it's pretty fresh with what we talked about. And again, where mm -hmm. I thought I could always go with you. And I know we've been chatting about this for a little while. So I wanted to shift directions a little bit on you first away from the lead. Gen. Sure. Something I know you talk a lot about, and maybe not something inherently linked to you as the role and of a CEO of a kind of a tech company for realtors. And but yeah. you go out there and you talk a lot about agent recruitment. You talk a lot mm -hmm. about leadership and teams and this this conversation about recruitment. And again, that's not the that's not the maybe sweet spot for what you did, but you like to speak out about that. I know recruitment is a word that has such a negative bias, right? Bias out mm -hmm. there, right? Why is it, in your opinion, that the word recruitment gets all icky? And I'm talking from team leadership here, right? Which is a big group of the people that work with your platform, which is again, yeah. it's not the cheapest on purpose, and it's a premium yeah. solution. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, when we when we evaluate recruiting in real estate today, um, it the the reason it's so depressing. And the reason why so many folks have soured on it is because if you're a broker today, you, you are, your business is largely in structural decline. And what I mean by that is you have rising costs in low and in, in, in decreasing pricing power. A typical, and I'm, I'm talking about the average run of the mill kind of brokerage, meaning yep. your agents are demanding more services from you, which increases your operating expenses, which increases your overhead. At the same time, they're willing to pay less for it. Right. Because, every, because it, and so you've got this situation where you, if you don't do A and B and C, your competition will. And, and, and don't even think about charging a premium for that because there's, you're gonna get hung up on. Agents want their, they want low, they want low caps and they want high splits, right? And, and that, is, that is a world where, when I look at the recruiting space there, and that is a race to the bottom, hard stop. And so what I, what I incur, the reason I talk about this is because 
before I'm an advertiser, before I'm a marketer, before I'm a salesperson, I'm a business owner. And the purpose of a business is to deliver a service that you can charge a premium for so you can make a profit. Right. And some, somehow along the way, we forgot about the importance of profit. And, and, and you see this, and I don't, know, I don't know if it was just the age of cheap capital in the real estate industry or high-flying tech startups who basically masqueraded as technology companies, but were just simply traditional brokerages. But you, you, we got away from like the basic fundamentals of running a good business. And so the reason I, the reason I talk about this, because I, I want my customers, I, I help my customers make more money. But I want them to keep it right. so they can pay me, right? Like, like <laughs> it's, it, it's not altruistic. Like I want them to make money and I want them to keep it so they can, can keep, continue to pay, pay me. And so recruiting for me and really business building to me is a passion of mine because uh, I'm a student of the game. And I, and I think that this industry needs to stop with the better sameness. We need to, like, if you, if you got kids, for those of the people who are watching right now who've got kids, and you go to a young, a young, like your kids, like recital, right? When they're like four, four or five or six years old, they go on stage to perform an act. What you will see is all of the kids are looking at each other to figure out what to do next, right? They, they can't really think for themselves or waiting for like, what, what is the next move or what's the next word in that song? That's like the state of real estate brokers. We're all looking at what is that other person doing there? Let me just like, what's their move? And then I'll just make that move. And like I want, I want our industry, and I want the people in our industry who have a desire to really do something special to recognize the answers are not inside the tent. They're not inside the sort of boys club circle that we're all used to in real estate. The, the, the answers to building a great brokerage exist outside of our industry, and we need to study other businesses to get some inspiration. So yeah, that's my, um, just my, my, my thoughts on that topic, Derek. When you uh, when you've seen those that have you know been around your world because I know you work with such a large group of quality and top producing teams, when you say that message and then you you, you look to your clientele that you can see is winning in that game, do you find any constant themes or threads about this 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 uh, recruitment that has worked that yeah. you pass along to to the audience? A hundred percent. I think of um, Euler and Hines. Uh, they're a fantastic brand out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, Mike Hines and Scott Euler, just just a powerhouse duo. I think of Susanna Murphy in um, uh, in uh, uh, Massachusetts, uh, Lante Real Estate. I think of Lucky to Live Here Realty in uh, the Cold uh, Cold, uh, Cold Spring Harbor in um, in uh, New York. The, the the characteristics that I find, I think of th like another one, a good example would be Thrive Realty. Uh, oh, yeah. my, my good friends, Jessica Woodbeck and Justin Woodbeck, uh, and, and, and I'm specifically kind of looking at indies for, for the time being, right? I'm, I'm looking at independent brokerages because I think there's, yeah. you can look at it from two different perspectives. So these are all indies that I, that I just mentioned. Um, the, and one more, Brad Allen, if you're making a list right now, Brad Allen, uh, in South Carolina just does an amazing job. He's got multiple locations, just delivers a ton of value. The common theme, to answer your question, the common theme is that there's, there's two components. They are truly full service. And what I mean by that is whether it's marketing, sales support, administration support, uh, uh, legal finance, offices, right? I know it's, I know it's a, a bit of, a, bit of a, a trigger word for many people, but like they've got like, they've got like they are true full service. So, so some the, the types of agents they attract 
are not the ones who want to keep 100% of their commission and want to go out there and, 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 and eat what they kill. The agents they attract are ones that value convenience. And, right. and the way to think about this, Darren, is there are certain people who will go online, order food, get in the car, go pick it up. And there are other people who will order on Uber Eats, click a button, pay a $15, $20 premium, and wait 45 minutes for it to be delivered to your house. If you are marketing, if you are a Uber Eats solution and you're marketing people who, who want, like my brother, who's the cheapest person on the planet, who will spend, like, you know, who, who will walk to the store before he pays a delivery fee. Like if you're marketing to those folks, what will happen is you're just, you're going to constantly fight over price. So right. what I, what I would be saying is the common theme is, is that there are full services brokerages who recruit people who value full service. It doesn't mean that if someone doesn't like what you do, it doesn't mean that you have a bad business. It means that you're targeting the wrong person, the wrong clientele. So that would be one common theme. The other theme, more, speaking more broadly about the industry, the organizations that have done an exceptional job, and I mean, I mean truly an exceptional job, are the, are the organizations that have incentivized the best agents in the world to share their secret sauce. Hmm. We, are in a, we are in a world where uh, collaboration is a word that gets thrown, out, thrown out around, around a lot, and you see a little bit of it, but for the most part, in your local market, there's not a heck of a lot of collaboration. There's a lot of a lot more competition than there is collaboration. You know, they'll they, they'll share a little bit of what they're doing, but they're not going to share everything that they're doing. And so, what's interesting to me is that if you look at like what Real has done and what EXP has done, and what there's probably a handful more that are starting to kind of enter into the space. And I expect there will be a lot of fast followers. Is that let's take Real as an example because um, Sharon's my guy. I got so many friends there. Obviously, you guys are there doing great work. The thing that makes real special is the, and I know everyone talks about the culture of the community. Okay, that's a byproduct of introducing financial incentives that allow really smart people to share the, like their hard-earned lessons that they built their careers on. And so we go, it's the, it's the community, it's the culture. No, it's the financial incentive that is in place that enables or call it incentivizes people like Joe Herrera to say, here's how I generate $90 million a year in Facebook leads. Or people like Brad McCullen, here's my exact step-by-step -step process on how I shoot a listing to, to a video. Now, Brad would probably do that already because he's just a good dude, but that financial incentive exists for really smart people to make it way easier for the rest of us. And the mistake that everybody makes, and I mean everybody makes, is that when people think about the value of these organizations, they immediately jump. If you're an individual agent, they immediately jump to the rev share opportunities, right? Well, it's unlikely you're going to get any rev share, or even if you do, it'll be, it'll be pretty minimal, relatively speaking. What you, what you actually do get, though, is you get this institutional knowledge that can help you generate six figures a year, and you can accelerate your learnings and get to where you want to go in a, a fraction of the time. To me, that's a heck of a lot more valuable than maybe a few thousand bucks a month in rev share. And so I think the, these are the kit, like what I'm, uh, and again, bringing, I'm going to land the plane here for you, Darren. <laughs> the, um, the, 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 the themes that you asked me about is number one, full service brokerages who attract people who value full service. The second trend amongst these really smart brokerages is they are creating the right environment for collaboration and community that benefits 
everybody within the organization, not just a few folks at the top, if you will. Right. And that is, those are things I could, I would be thinking about if I'm trying to sort of revamp or reimagine the way I structure my team and business. I think what's dead is where you go hang your license at a brokerage, pay them a really small fee and, and hope that like that person doesn't ask you any questions. Like, and you're just trying to get like a lot of volume at a really low cost. I think those models are just absolutely dead, dead, dead on arrival. They're, they're hanging their hat on attachment rate with mortgage and title. I, I, if I, that is a, that is a bad business to be in hard stop, right? Like that's a bad business to be in. So yeah, hopefully that gives you a little bit of insight in terms of how I think about it. When you, when you say that, uh, and then we roll it to the idea of teams, because teams still have this incredible opportunity, right? Teams are, I, I mean, you would probably know as more than I, the team leaders are taking more market share by the day, right? Because they're, yeah. they're, yes. they're, they're, they're funded. They can use programs like yourself. They can pay in advance. They can, they can drive this forward. So it's that same thing, convenience, likely value baked in full service so they can so i mean whether you're indie or team i would assume you're seeing it through the same lens right because yeah. there's also far more people listening to this that are team leaders or would be team leaders that are in then independent brokers right and your yeah. your conversation flows right to them too fair well the the thing about it uh, teams team team is the greatest it is the greatest reallocation of wealth from brokers to agents that's ever existed, right? Because right. before before the team structure really, really was a thing, right? And I know it's yeah. been around for a while, before, before it really became popularized, the brokers really had a lot more control, a lot more power and, and capture a lot more, a lot more of the, the revenue or the profit, if you will. For sure. Teams, right, are like all of the benefit and none of the cost relatively speaking, right? Like you, you, you have all, you have all the independence. You can go from A to B, you can bring, you can flow people around. Like people just, people just move their entire teams to another brokerage. Like that is, that's like, you can't just move your entire brokerage to another brokerage. Well, I guess you can, but like, damn, that's not an easy thing to do. That um, took us like 12 months, folks. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like a team, you say, Hey, wait, wake up. Hey, I'm, I'm no longer going to be with, you know, X and I'm jumping over to Rio. Okay, cool. Like, We'll have it done in, in three weeks. Like that is that is a um, the flexibility in teams is truly unparamount, and they and they and they capture all the power, which is why they, they they command a premium. Here's the thing, though, about teams, and this is the mistake I've seen made countless times. That it's, it's, it's a guidance I want to give your audience. The team leader has got to decide what type of team leader they're going to be, what type of team leader they want to be, because you can be. A player coach, you could be in the game, and you can have your entire team run shock, run, run shotgun with you. Watch me work. Watch me work. Do my magic. Learn through osmosis. I'll help you along the way. But we we are all in the trenches together. And so the player coach is a great role to be in because the the, the player, meaning the team leader, is still getting the vast majority of their production from their own individual business and then they're getting some supplemental income from these other agents who are partnering with them but there's not a lot of risk if someone leaves the team it, the, the team leader doesn't get completely wiped out because yeah. they're still very much in production then you've got the then you've got the, the the coach right where it's just like coach and players and when you're the coach and players well guess what your entire your entire income is dependent on your your agent's production. Now you're in the thought of saying, okay, I've got to 
systems and, and software and people and training. I've got to I've got to really embrace that, and I've got to be doing two things: helping my current teammate, my my current team increase the production, while at the exact same time looking to the horizon to find the next person to add because I'm going to have attrition. You know, I'm I in some respects I'm always training my competition when you yeah. run a team. And then there is the, the sort of GM, right? The GM is someone who, let's say, is at a level. And this is where like, it starts to like, look like a brokerage in terms of the size, but they're still kind of a team. Might be 20 people, 30 people. The GM now is really overseeing the entire operations of the business. They, are, they, they typically have multiple people on payroll who are doing multiple things. And they begin to create sort of this assembly line where no single individual is really that important because the, the infrastructure they built is the value of the team, not the individual agents. Now, here's the problem is many team leaders don't know whether they're a player coach, a coach, or a GM. Right. And so they might, they might act like a GM, but they, but they actually need to be a player coach because they don't have enough income coming into their business. Or they try to jump from a player coach into a coach too quickly and they're and their production plummets and they get desperate and they get back into the business and they have this huge curve in their production. You know, momentum is not an easy thing to just like flip the switch on. So I would, I would advise the team leaders who are watching this right now to ask themselves the question, what, what should you be today is number one. And Darren, number two is where do you ultimately want to go? Because then the path becomes a bit clearer for you as you start to build your business. And I know you've got, Darren, you've got a ton of experience in this space. I think it'd be good for the audience for you to share your insight on this as well, because you, I know you probably look at it from a different lens than I do, but this is what I think teams really struggle with is making these decisions. Yeah, and part of the conversation is around the, the word we brought up earlier, which is profit, right? And yeah. uh, that player coach model is quite profitable, as you can imagine. And as you transition over to, like you said, coach, coach, you, you've, you've alluded to this in a lot of your reels and your commentary that generally you're stepping back in income significantly for a fair amount of time. And that, that yeah. transitionary period is painful in a bunch of ways, right? It's painful because you're, 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 you're taking less home. You've upgraded the responsibility. You've upgraded the staff, the expenses to make that transition. And a lot of teams attempted transitions don't go anywhere. And that, yeah. that, that, that mole hill they think they're building is actually a mountain and they're not willing to climb it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And when you bring up, you bring up a great point. I, I think it's, I, I can say this as someone who has managed people. If you don't love managing people, and if you don't want pe if, if you don't love other people succeeding more than you succeeding yourself, you probably should not be a manager. No. Um, you know, like I, I have found that I actually enjoy more than anything else working on a project, being intimately involved, getting it to market, and then seeing the results more than hiring people to do just that. Mm. And I know it sounds crazy as a CEO, but that is in some for certain parts of the business, I should add a disclaimer, for certain parts of the business, I am as much as, as an individual contributor as I am a CEO, right? Like I'm really in the weeds doing it. And that is something that I think for the people who are listening right now, and you're spot on there. And like, you, you just got to understand that about yourself before you embark on this journey, because you're right, it ain't, it ain't a molehill, it's a mountain. It's a big mountain. So if you didn't bring the oxygen tanks, 
like you're already in trouble is the point. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, the same message I think would also resonate for those that did go indie did step out, you know, and they become a player coach, but broker owner player coach, because the average brokerage is under 30 agents deep. And that player coach to earn anything still has to play in the field. And even yeah. that transition as broker owner virtually never happens, right? There's virtually not enough left in the kitty to fund the ability to grow and be that little guy that gets to a hundred. I know I went through that journey, both as a team leader, as well as a broker owner. Part of the reason I'm where I'm at today is be with those lessons. I wouldn't probably have taken that same yeah. journey twice, but again, yeah. it's uh yeah. Anybody ever wants to speak about that stuff. I think Jimmy and I could go deep. So Sure. I mean, you spoke also about, you know, uh, mediocrity in the team, right? And mediocrity mm -hmm. about like cutting the fat, getting rid of the bad fits. I think you said something to the effect that your organization will remain mediocre if indeed you let those agents on your squad that you would say are not hurting us, but they're certainly not the true fits. You know, you probably yeah. see that a lot when you're trying to get, um, you know, help their team leaders who are, who are using your product to, to, you know, to really take advantage of what they're, they're, they provided anything you can think of to speak to that. I, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of a Graham Cook quote, which is mediocrity is invisible until passion shows up. And I think what's interesting to me about it is that when you've got people who are driven, who are ambitious, who care, who want to get better, who want to do something big, when you surround yourself with people like that, uh, it is electric. It is it is 110% energy almost all of the time. And things can be challenging. Things are going to be hard. Things are not going to go your way. But when you've got people who wake up, who when they look at a brick wall, they start building a ladder. Those are the people that, in my opinion, can take business, that can sort of are the necessary ingredients to take a business to the new heights. Oftentimes, we let people in our organization sit there who don't do anything, who don't add any value, who don't actually, and we justify, oh, well, they close one or two deals a year. It's, it's not hurting anybody. But what you're doing is you're signaling to every single person in the organization, this is my standard. You could talk about having high standards all day long, but if I look at the corner over there and I see you know, this dude, Ben, who doesn't do shit, doesn't, doesn't show up to work, doesn't make his phone calls, doesn't do any marketing, occasionally close a deal once in a while. Like if that's, if that dude's in the office and this, if he even comes in the office and that's who we're hiring, that to me tells me everything about, about you as a leadership leader, if you will, and what you will accept. I am, for lack of a better word, fanatical about this. I, I have zero tolerance at Curator for people who are, are, aren't gonna show up and, and, and bring the energy. Cause it is, cause Darren, it's a choice. I mean, we all got problems. We all got issues. And, and if you bring that stuff and every, every you know, roadblock you run into, you know, it's someone else's fault or, or ho-hum, it's me. Like, I'm sorry, you can never fix that. You know, I, t I, t I talk about this a lot with my, with my uh, people team and curator. I said, I do not want to, I do not want to teach life skills. Sam Walton talked about this. He goes, when they talk about recruiting at Walmart, he goes, I never talked about working hard because if you didn't already know that you, you shouldn't be here. Like if you didn't like, and so Stripe talks about this a lot, right? Stripe, the, the big uh, financial um, 
startup would now now soon be a public company, I'm sure at some point. Uh, they, they talk about the idea, we don't teach life skills. So compassion, like thoughtfulness, kindness, like you should, the, the employer should not teach basic human skills. You want to hire those individuals who have those characteristics and create an environment where they can do really meaningful work. So yeah, I, I just think too many brokerages right now, too many team leaders right now are have ridiculously high standards for themselves. And I think many people are watching, like they have, they hold themselves to really high standards, but they're also like, it doesn't trickle down to their team. And the worst characteristic, and I've learned this, and I've tried to work on this too, because this is something that I think I was, I felt victim to, um, especially early in my tenure as a, as, as a leader and as CEO, the worst characteristic of a leader. I mean, there is almost nothing as bad as this. And then that is the desire to be liked. Uh, if, you if you have the desire to be liked as a leader, it is, it is going to be, you are going to set yourself up for a world of hurt because people are not going to like you and they're not going to agree with you. And you got to get over that, right? Like that's, you get paid to make the decisions. That's the job. Yeah. And so I, I hope, I hope the team leaders watching right now start to look internally on this stuff there. And because I think ultimately this is, this is at least again, my observation what's required here. I mean, I think there's also this, this moment when you're running any organization as a team and you know that that mediocrity is in there, you understand that there's signaling to others, but to commit to yourself and to do, like you said, be the grade A top 1% agent team leader, keep doing what you do as a player coach. You've kind of already figured that out. But the next level of leadership is to say, well, I'm going to also hold everybody else to that. That requires another level of work or another level yeah. of commitment from that leader. And most I find struggle to get there to say, you know what, damn it, I got to run it up another notch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because yeah. now I got to serve these 10 at that <coughs> same level is yeah. scary. And I even think about that through my own lens at Redline. You know, you we're we're not a team. We are a marketing group at Real, which is this big group of people brand aligned to simplify life, to, to make an impact with our strength in numbers. In my head, all the time, I, I dance between this thing, Jimmy, do I push harder because I, I know I want the standards to be greater um, or do I not? And, and when I don't, it's because internally I'm like, I don't know if I got the capacity or willingness to commit to that level to hold it to that standard. And then I pull back, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, that's a tough one. But then if you don't, you stay in that zone, right? You stay in that, uh, maybe I'm not growing, right? Yeah, it's, it, you know, I, I appreciate you you sharing the candidness about that because I think all of us as leaders struggle with this. I have, um, the longer your organization is in, in, um, in flight, right? Longer you've been in business, the more operational debt that you kind of acquire. And, and what that what that does, and you can visualize this with me, it's sort of like you start to carry these, these bricks and every step forward, you're adding more and more bricks and every step forward, you're going a little bit slower, taking a little bit longer to take, to take, to take this sort of next step. You know where you want to go, but you're carrying so much weight that you've acquired over all these decisions over all of these years. And as a result, this nimble, fast, agile startup that you once were has now become the thing that you railed against, the thing that you never wanted to become, the thing that you were trying to disrupt. And so what I like to do, because this is true for every organization I've, I've had a chance to work with or, or, or organizations I've had a chance to build, is I like to shake things up and I like to throw the organization into chaos. 
And, and the reason, and, and, and I mean, like stripping down all the processes that all the operational debt that we have, like it's, it's the, it's the, the, the visual or the equivalent of like doing a cold plunge, right? Shock the system. So, yeah. you know, this, this to me is required in order to, uh, in order to kind of move yourself forward. You have, you've got to like create that to don't list, get rid of all the things that we're no longer going to do. And so when organizations bring me in to consult for them or, or they ask for advice or guidance on this, that's the first thing that I do is just say, listen, let's, let's just get rid of all the things that no longer serve us that once did. They're not, they're, it was not like people were dumb. We just made a decision based on the information that we had at our disposal. And so for me, a curator, it's easier to do for someone else's business than for your own business. For me, a curator, part of it is, is I, I think of myself as a chief simplicity officer which is make the game really small for the team. Hey, this is all we care about here. Like I, like, I don't care about anything else unrelated to this. And so all I talk about, all I, all I you know, have meetings about, all, I, all the data that I collect is about that one thing. I sort of like, and it, there's a great quote from Johnny Ive, uh, uh, famous you know, designer at Apple, you know, one of the pioneers of, of the iPhone, the, the iPad, worked hand in hand with Steve Jobs for many years. He said, it's not a priority until it's painful. And that is the essence of, of really running a good business is saying, we are going to prioritize until it is absolutely excruciating where we feel like, oh, I really wish I could do this other stuff. I really want to do it, but I'm choosing not to just so I could focus on this main priority. And so I think that is part of the job of any, any, any leader is to strip away all the unnecessary decisions that you've made that no longer serve you, and then figure out ways to add a degree of simplicity to your business and then get used to repeating yourself. Welcome to management. That's the job, right? right. Keeping everyone focused on, hey, they keep it's the old Stephen Covey line. Keep the main thing, the main thing. That is the hard part of running a business. But it's also when you get that right, man, it's like all the alignment, all the energy kind of like gets locked into place for sure. Totally. I mean, I love every decision gets made. It gets made fast. It gets moved forward. Everybody's aligned from, from, from top down. So, I mean, mm -hmm. you, you look outside of our industry a lot in your marketing yeah. ideas. You shared a bit of that at Thrive, Not Survive. And I love doing that too. You know, most of the books I'm reading are not real estate people, right? Most of the podcasts I have are completely separate from that. That concept, I think a lot of people get, right? That thing, hey, look outside your industry for ideas, right? And, uh, the concept, but how does that translate when you see some of that stuff? How do you translate it back to our use for us in real estate? I know a lot of themes that you've kind of shared when you've you know been in, I've, I've listened to a bunch of your keynotes and you might, some of them are witty, right? Some really wittiness is pulled together. Then you see there's some real clarity of value. I can think of the one uh, thing you shared about Beyond Meat and the hamburger, right? Yeah. Um building a connection with your audience. You know, there was one with this dog and it's just really easy. You know, realtors, and you and I've talked about this, we, we're just like awful marketers for the most part. When you've looked at it and shared it, what comes to mind for us to, to, to really translate into real estate? I mean, I don't know if it's easier to say if I brought up the term wit, where do we go with that? Yeah. I don't know. I thought yeah. I'd just bring that up with you. Yeah, it's a... um the most important thing to understand about being a great marketer. And by the way, being a real estate agent, it's not, it's not like you can be a great real estate agent and not be a great marketer. 
you have to be a great marketer. Like you should think about it as important as it is to understand how to negotiate a deal. You should think about the same thing as true as this is part of my job description is to understand marketing, understand consumer behavior, understand sales. This is part of the job. And so the first thing is, is that a lot of agents sort of self-diagnose themselves as like, oh, I'm not a marketer. Well, that language or that mindset is in itself, you're already, you're already starting behind. You should think of yourself as a marketer and recognize this is part of your job. Because, because technically, when it comes to if you're, if you're representing the seller, you, 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 that is part of your job. You're there to market, the, they're hiring you to market their property. So if you, if you don't understand marketing, it means that you don't understand how to do a big part of your job. When we look at the surveys conducted by um, companies like Thousand Watt, who do an amazing job interviewing consumers and they cite the reasons why a seller or the things that a seller uh, values from their uh, listing agent. Almost always you'll see marketing being one of the key, key parts of that. You go into a good listing consultation or presentation and a good listing agent will be talking about how we're going to market your property. So in, or, in order, so I think agents are generally, to be clear, I think agents are generally good at marketing their listings. You know, I think they can do a better job in many ways, but like they understand the importance of that. It's when it comes to marketing themselves where they really struggle because they think they have to be a personality. They think they have to be the next Brad McCollum. They think they got to have great hair, live in a beautiful city, right? Have beautiful houses in order to really stand out. And what's, tr what's, not, what's not true about that is that the consumer cares about their problems. They care about what th their goals. And oftentimes all of our marketing is, is inward facing. We're thinking about ourselves. How do I look? How do I sound? What am I supposed to say? If we start to look outward at our customers and really internalize what it is about the consumer, or what, what, what are they thinking or feeling, or what are, what are the things that are concerning them, keeping, that, keeping them up at night, and how do we then help them make better, more informed decisions, then marketing becomes a heck of a lot easier. Like I, I remember you guys recently in Canada introduced the, uh, the, the sort of restriction or moratorium on uh, people buy, uh, foreigners buying houses. Um, and this was, this was big news. And, the, and there was a bunch of, um, there's a bunch of news in the US about this. Um, very anti-Canada because we want to buy your houses, right? Uh, but, and I'm sure in Canada, there was a bunch of pro-Canadian pro, you know, news saying like, hey, listen, we don't want these. We don't want um, all these outside investors driving up prices and making unaffordable for everyday Canadians. And so I think about that, these news stories, and say to myself, "Okay, like, is it is it better to have a clever little ad where you're you know pointing at things on the screen and dancing to the latest trending topic on TikTok, or where you're shooting a video explaining to the consumer how this moratorium on?" And uh, foreign investors is going to have an impact short-term, mid-term, long-term on the everyday Canadian homeowner. I don't know. I think I choose the latter, like, because that's the thing they actually care about. So when you start to recognize, and if you could flip that switch, where what are the questions I'm getting from my customers every day around affordability, around inventory, around, you know, uh, uh, you know, the specific questions around the particular house, new construction versus an existing build, uh, school districts, whatever it, whatever comes to your mind as it relates to the questions you're getting, how can then you then take that those questions and translate that into forward-facing consumer marketing? So my my um, the my hero in advertising, Darren, is a guy by the name of David Ogilvy. David David Ogilvy, the author of On Advertising, 
He's the godfather of like modern day advertising. He wrote a book called On Advertising, as well as Confessions of an Admin. Um, and just fantastic, like call it baseline foundational reading on advertising. He talks about this idea of how it's so much more important to be clear than it is to be clever. And that's what we're looking for with Mark. Can we provide clarity for the consumer? Can we provide them the insight they need to make informed decisions? Can we be a resource? And if you think about this, and this is the one, if, if, you, if the, everyone who's tuning in listens to this live or the replay, if you can just internalize this, every time you write an email, create a blog post, you know, uh, shoot a video, if you can internalize this concept, where if you say to yourself, okay, imagine that I am explaining this idea to somebody who doesn't know anything about real estate, who is, who is looking to make a decision and is already a customer of mine. Meaning we, we talk to our odd, like an audience, a cold audience, so different than we talk to a customer. Right. It's like, imagine they're already your customer. Darren, if one of your one of your clients called you up when you used to sell real estate, but the, one of the clients called, "Hey, Darren, listen, man, like you helped me sell my house five years ago. I'm thinking about selling my house. I'm really not sure what I should be doing." Like that conversation, how you would the questions you'd ask, the guidance you'd give them, is the tonality, the the the, the language, right? The the theme of how you should communicate to strangers. Just imagine they're already customers, and that's going to go from the cheesy like buy now, sell now, do this now kind of marketing to more like, here are five things you should know. And here are three reasons why you shouldn't sell. Like that's the type of stuff consumers really want that we all have, if you will. Yeah. And that would go right into the world of like brand building that is so big out there. Everyone thinks brand means all these things like, you know, you <laughs> go back to everybody, Brad, the hair or the, this or the, that, yeah. that's not the, that's not the brand. If the brand can come from this place of of, of with proper tone, you can think of it in, in their mindset and your brand is built by being the guy or gal that, that is portraying that properly. That is how a brand builds fair to say versus the other external things, right? Yeah, there's uh, everyone should look uh, uh, on YouTube for a guy by the name of Scott Galloway, who uh, he's the uh, author of Algebra of Happiness uh, the big four. He's a professor, brand strategy professor at NYU Stern. He is, is a very popular podcast with Kara Swisher called Pivot. And he is, I've learned so much about brand from, from him, understanding really brand strategy. And, you know, brand strategy really is, it's the, it's, if I were to define brand in the simplest terms, it's association through experiences. That's, mm. that's all it is. It's, a, it's, it's the association that you build through your personal experiences. So in the, in the case of a consumer, the association that they're going to build is by interacting with you and whatever the means that they interact with you, whether it's in-person, online, offline, doesn't make a difference. It, how, how their experience is. If the experience is it's a used car salesman's pitch, even if you're the nicest, kindest, sweetest, most dedicated real estate agent out there, if that's the first thing that they're going to experience in the wild, then don't be surprised when your phone ain't earning, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, the experiences that you create for the consumer online are, helps them build the association that you are different, unique, and special. 
And that is what ultimately becomes your brand for that consumer. The mistake that many of us make when it comes to brand is we think about brand as this like, you know, this, this thing that we develop that we really control. No, it's, it's the experiences that the consumers have with your company that actually creates the brand. And Jeff Bezos has a great line. He goes, brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room, not what your marketing team wrote up as a slogan. So I would be, I would be thinking about the consumer experience, everything from marketing to sales. Like, let me give you one really practical example there. I know we're running short on time and, I'm, and this has been such a fun conversation because I know we didn't talk about lead yet, right? I, and because uh, when I hang up the phone, I'm going to be thinking about lead yet, right? Yeah. But what's interesting, what's interesting is like, think about this idea. If I was prospecting, calling, like if I was going to go call through my database, I can call with a salesperson's mindset or I can call with a customer service person's mindset, right? Hey, Darren, this is Jimmy calling ABC Realty. I know you're not expecting my call. The reason I'm reaching out is because this home just hit the market just down the block for me. Anytime that happens, we want to let anyone in the neighborhood know just in case they got someone in their family or friend network that might be thinking about making a move, right? Like that's going to start a conversation that could lead to potentially a listing appointment that could lead to a referral as opposed to, hey, this home just hit the market. Are you interested in buying? Like, you know, no, like that's not what consumers want. And that's not what realtors want either. Realtors don't want to do a hard pitch. Yet that's kind of the, the, the world that we've sort of, fallen into so yeah i'm just a huge fan and believer of this basic idea that you know brand is a mission critical part of any organization and if you start thinking about it through this idea of associations built through experiences which i think about all the experiences a consumer has it reshapes the way in which you run your business and that i mean jimmy you mentioned online you mentioned like you know on a circle dial but you can you can translate that same message through the Facebook ad, through the copy, through the just listed, through the just sold, like you said, yeah. through the coming soon, through the I'm just about to take a listing appointment. Like you said, you have those four stages that our Thrive Not Survivors got to hear about. You can translate that same messaging in all of those levels, right? So, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, Jimmy. Well, once again, I know we have come up on time and I'm so grateful that you've taken all of this time with me and my audience. And, and we went deep and we went into some stuff that I think you don't always get a chance to go fully into because again, this tech forward lead gen based yeah. business. So uh, thank you for going there with me. Um, yeah. To find out more about Curator and the, anything you wanted to roll out uh, as far as like what's coming new or what should people just know about happening right now? Or just uh, should they just follow you on Instagram and that's where you find it all? The, the best place, the best place to ever want, follow me on Instagram. Um, I don't share pictures of puppies. I don't share pictures of where, where, what I ate for dinner last night. You're never going to see a, uh, you're never going to see a photo with plain wings in it. Uh, I only share relevant information that's useful. I'm on a mission to become the most useful person to follow on Instagram. So I don't post that much. I don't post a lot of, a lot of reels, uh, but I do post more stories. But anytime I want to post something on Instagram, it is always going to be something designed to help you get value for your business. So if you even look at my feed, my archive, there's, there's a tremendous amount of content out there to help you run a better business, generate more leads, have more conversations, close more deals. Awesome, man. Well, hopefully everybody here already does. And if they don't, go find you. Uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. And that's been another Re-Education Experience podcast. Thanks for listening and see you all next time.